Adult content intended for an adult audience only as this contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. The content of this story is purely fiction and not intended for anything but the enjoyment of the listener. If you do not agree with the themes listed in the tags, please do not listen to the story. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link in the comments to further support this author. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out. The Maneater by Lifestyle 66 Prologue The song is sung in a male voice, as a warning to other men. She'll only come out at night, the lean and hungry type. She's deadly, man, and she could really rip your world apart. Mind over matter, oh, the beauty is there. But a beast is in the heart. Oh, here she comes, watch out boy, she'll chew you up. Oh, here she comes, she's a man-eater. Lyrics from the song Man-eater by Daryl Hall and John Oates, 1982. Intro The reflection in the building's mirrored foyer walls of the lithe figure confidently striding toward the doors reaffirmed my choice of dress. The tight leather black mini-dress might have been a little out of place in the afternoon, but it served its purpose in the counselor's office. Exiting the building, as I walked across the parking lot, I saw two early twenty-something-year-old guys, with one leaning his butt against the driver door of my car as they casually talked out I can read people, judging their posture, the way they dress, their hair, and how they take care of themselves. These two screamed. Bark with no bite. Lanky, cocky types who posture in front of each other. They were probably here waiting for some group counseling. Maybe drug abuse rehab, or some petty criminal, court ordered. Try to fix this useless kid. The misguided people think will help save him. They turned to look at me and the one leaning against my car glanced down at the hood of the car realizing it was mine, but not moving. If he had seen a man like my husband come out and walk this way, his type would quickly scurry away, like the rodents they are. But he probably thinks he's going to have some fun against a woman. Stopping about four feet away from them at the front of my car, I gave him a cold stare and commanded, Get off my car! He smirked and chuckled before saying, Huh, maybe for a blowjob. As if he could intimidate me. He expected to make a woman crawl and asked him to please would you let me get into my car, or make some impotent threat. That's what he was really looking for, a reaction, showing he was in control. Shifting my left foot out firmly into my dominatrix pose, I harshly replied, Well, whip it out and let's see it. I'll suck your cock, or bite it off. I opened my lips to show him as I snapped my front teeth together. Do you feel lucky? Then I angrily added, Well, do you? Demanding an answer. There was no fear in my voice, only a determined assurance we could do it, but it would be M.Y. choice. The surprise and brief flash of fear on his face was priceless, as if he should check his groin to make sure it was still there. But he tried to recover some dignity in front of his friend. Stepping away from my car, he walked in the opposite direction to put more distance between us, muttering, Let's go and leave this crazy catwoman to play with her own pussy. A few weeks earlier fidgeting in this comfortable chair in front of his desk, I smoothed my skirt over my knees as we sit in this small office. I tried to listen as my boss was droning on. But I've heard this before from his predecessors over the years. First comes the praise of my work then, and my patience this time was wearing thin. 
and her knowledge of financial regulations and our company's controls is perfect, always providing us with guidance to avoid controls violations. Glenn read from the sheet before glancing up at me. Jan, everyone I've pulled has only good things to say about your knowledge and technical performance in your job. They should. I confidently replied, giving him a stern look. I pushed my black rim, thick glasses up higher on the bridge of my nose, a nerdy look I retained from my high school days long ago, which comes in handy at work. There was almost no sexy to the way I dress in the office. I'm certainly not going to send the wrong signals to my boss or coworkers that I might have earned a pay raise by other means. I deserve a pay raise for the quality of my work, and they know it, reminding him of my accomplishments, I added with a slight hint of anger. The clients assigned to me never have any significant findings or fail an audit. I've kept them all out of trouble for years. But, Glenn went on with emphasis, and I knew what was next. He looked down to continue reading she should work on her people's skills. Here's another good one. Her sarcasm knows no bounds. And another says she can be abrasive and insulting. He looked up and added, They all say things like that as your only negative. I could play at being nice to be popular. I pointed out sarcastically. And be dumb as shit, like Michael. Michael isn't bad, Glenn said defensively. He gets along well with the customers, just like Barbara. Oh, come on. I insisted. Why are you making excuses for him? He almost lost that one account. Barbara and I spent two days straightening out the mess he made with the advice he gave the customer. He's useless, with zero knowledge of accounting. But he's friendly. Glenn said again. Just being nice doesn't get the job done. I insisted. Sometimes stupid people need to be told they're stupid, or they'll never learn. Glenn looked down shaking his head before looking up again, saying, You can't go around insulting people. You even do it to senior managers. He insisted. And some of those comments came from our customers. In my performance review, I noted smugly, You need to point out at least one area for me to improve. So you should write down, I'll work on that. Glenn chuckled again as he wrote a note. Then he looked up seriously saying, Jan, if you were anyone else, I'd have fired them months ago. But you get the job done. And even the customers who complain about your attitude still want you overseeing their accounts. You said pay raises this year might be between 3 to 6%. So, do I make the threshold in my review for a 6% pay raise? I asked with a coy smile. Glenn rolled his eyes in frustration. I'll make a deal with you. I'll recommend you for the pay raise. If you agree to go to counseling for your abrasive attitude. This is who I am. I said harshly. If you want the job done right, it's the price you pay. So, I'm not paying a counselor to tell me what I already know. If I write it as my recommendation in your performance review, the company will pay for those sessions. He said in a frustrated tone. And I'll allow you to log the travel during the day and the time in the session as overhead hours, since this is performance improvement. Then he softened, adding, Jan, work with me here. I need to do something for MY performance showing I'm taking action to fix issues and complaints. So, go to counseling, and I'll try to get your pay raise approved. The Business Club After changing clothes in the ladies' room, I left the office to meet my husband for drinks after work. The knee-length skirt, conservative blouse, and low-heel comfortable shoes I wore earlier were replaced by this asymmetrical neckline, pretty little black club dress, a right side, one-shoulder style with a cutout exposing my cleavage and a slit exposing my right hip almost to where my panties would be. If I wore them, I decided to go commando this evening to tease my husband. 
I find it intriguing that men can get excited just knowing the woman they're talking to is naked under the dress. So, I try to play with men's imagination down I'm trying out new knee-high, brushed black suede, four-inch heel boots with the dress this time. The gap between the boots and a skirt highlights the legs. So, I think these taller knee-high boots will narrow the gap to emphasize my toned thighs. And I wouldn't choose shiny suede or vinyl because it would distract from the skin of my legs. My long, dark auburn hair was released from the athletic ponytail band and now brushed free for my preferred flip-over style. I bring most of the hair over my bare left shoulder, hanging beside my face for strategic use. It gives me a seductive look, and I can partially hide my face when coyly glancing to the right, which is usually to hide an involuntary smirk at something stupid. I'm right-handed, but I deliberately use my left hand to part my hair on the right to confuse people. They intuitively assume I'm left-handed. Such subtle body language mis-signals help throw others off guard. Adding a little mascara and eyeliner, contact lenses, along with a necklace dangling down to draw the eyes as a pointer to my cleavage, and I'm dressed to kill before going to the satellite club. When I came out of the elevator at the club's penthouse floor, I took a few steps in and to the left, stopping to pause with my right leg out slightly to expand the slit opening, exposing more of the thigh and hip. I only balance evenly over my feet when I want to send a dominatrix look to intimidate. I in college, some of my girlfriends said beauty pageant consultants taught them that girls should pose with one knee turned in and Never show the inner thigh. It's for the demure, innocent girl next door look. But I'm not innocent. Posture and a pose send a signal. And my leg out gives the subtle suggestion of naughty girl, open, ready for action to draw men's attention. The spacious room around me held the club's bar to the right with a few scattered small tables, chairs, and couches. The dark oak of the room's walls matched the bars, helping the bar blend in to keep it from being the main attraction. And the bright lighting gave the room a more working feel rather than a nightclub atmosphere. The maitre de podium stood twenty feet away straight across from the elevator doors at the entrance to the restaurant, and the hallway off to the left led to several conference rooms. The patrons were split into small groups of two to four people each, as members quietly discussed their business with clients in relative isolation. People paused to look up when the elevator doors open, sometimes expecting friends or clients to arrive. So, I take this opportunity to catch their attention. I scan the room from right to left and back, taking in my audience until most of their eyes turn toward me. It only takes a moment for the twenty or so, mostly male club members and their clients to stop talking and look up. Then I briefly nodded to the room, acknowledging those I recognized, smiled, and walked over to the bar. I poured your usual, Jan, Jill said, remembering the cognac I've ordered in the past. I appreciate the staff here always remembering my name. And I'm not even a club member. Thanks, Jill, I replied with a cheerful smile and acknowledging nod. Picking up the brandy snifter, I moved to the nearby low table beside the large window overlooking the city, where Ted was waiting. I took the comfortable chair across from him, crossing my legs so my lack of underwear wouldn't be blatantly obvious. My husband wore a dark gray, nicely tailored Brooks Brothers suit, a white shirt with French cuffs, and a bluish Jerry Garcia tie, my favorite tie designer. This wasn't his usual look of jeans or dockers with a polo shirt for work. Normally, I'd need to tell him how to dress to look decent when we're going out. But at six foot three with his salt and pepper graying black hair and athletic build, he always looks rather handsome any way he's dressed. Or even undressed doubt I could call Ted in from cutting grass, and in thirty minutes he could look like James Bond in a tux for a formal affair. I adore a confident man who knows himself, and casually projects it. It's not only about what he's wearing but the attitude he projects when I see him. 
I don't like men who are cocky and full confident, who desperately try to project an attitude of being God's gift to women. Confidence is one of those subtle things which says, I know who I am, I'll do what I want, and nothing you think can bother me. But with Ted's attire tonight, I wondered if he had ulterior motives inviting me to his business club this evening. Through his work as a computer consultant, Ted has a membership in this upscale private, members-only club. He's a system architect and troubleshooter in a technology consulting firm, highly paid due to his high IQ. His company vice president, boss, and friend, Walt pays for his membership here as a perk to use, mainly as a place to take their disgruntled clients when discussing how he'll fix their problems. After taking my seat at Ted's table, I started. Glenn told me I need to attend performance improvement hour-long sessions with the company's personnel counselor. It was said with a hint of frustration and using my fingers as air quotes for improvement. He's making my pay raise contingent on attending three counseling sessions. I raised my brandy snifter of Hennessy XO Cognac, adding, Cheers! To higher salaries. With the words dripping in sarcasm. I'll see if Ted asks the club to charge this $30 shot to his personal credit card or if he'll expense it to his company card. There are no prices on any of the menus at this club. Only members know the costs. But I've seen some of his monthly club invoices. And he knows if I see the charge on his club invoice and the statement for his card, I'll take it out of his allowance from our family budget. But if he's invited me here as his arm candy to meet a client, he'd better expense our drinks to his company. Cheers! And he raised his glass of scotch in salute. So, you didn't try to argue your way out of counseling? You know why we both behave so differently. You said it yourself once. We both came from fucked up families. Although I didn't consider mine fucked up. You know you're different too. I said, dismissing his point. As good looking as you were in high school, you were a loner and never associated with anyone until I ordered you to take me to the prom. If you thought I was so handsome in high school. Ted started. Why did you wait until prom of our senior year to ask me to take you on a date? My best friend, Marlene and I had issues with the bitch squad throughout high school. Jan explained. Going out with a geek like you would have been like throwing gas on a fire. And you lived five miles away from me. So, I focused on tormenting Gretchen and her friends since she started the fight with me four years earlier. Then why ask me to take you to the prom? I didn't ask you to take me. I told you to rent a tux and take me. I said, correcting him. Marlene had a date with a guy from another high school. She met him at 4-H camp. So, she dared me to get a date, too. I picked you as an easy target. And why didn't you ask me out earlier? Basically, the same reason. He admitted. I was comfortable as a loner. You looked a little nerdy in high school, with your baggy jeans, sweatshirts, and those black rim Coke bottle lens glasses. And I knew you didn't date anyone. Rumors were that you and Marlene were a couple, so I assumed you'd turn me down. No, Marlene and I were just friends. There was nothing sexual. Those rumors were started by the bitch squad. But you changed that first night I picked you up for our date three weeks before the prom. Betty, the woman I worked with at the diner, gave me a lot of advice on how to dress and style my hair for our first date. I explained. And she told me to ditch the glasses and get contacts. When I walked into school the Monday after our date, with my new look, I could almost hear the jaws drop on all those boys who dissed me over the years. After that, I enjoyed the feeling of power I had over them, with just a little effort. And by the way, Ted added, being a loner wasn't my family's fault. Your mother was emotionally distant. I reminded him, running her house like the orphanage she grew up in. You know it wasn't normal. It doesn't make her fucked up, he said defensively.
A lot of people grew up in orphanages, so it makes her a subset of a different normal. Whatever. I said in frustration, ending the discussion of our dysfunctional pasts. So, are we meeting your clients here this evening? One of these days you're probably going to suggest I bed one of them, so your company can win a contract. And you know even the suggestion is going to make me angry. Bullshit, he said assertively. I don't invite you here for our client meetings. Walt sends those texts telling you, you're welcome to join us. It started years ago between you two, when you told him you could get almost any man to do whatever you want. He dared you to prove it. He knows you enjoy flirting as a hobby, and Walt's the type to never miss an opportunity to use people. He sets the stage and invites you to join us, dropping you like a bomb on his target. I still remember the surprise on Walt's face the first time I came here on his dare. Walt was halfway through presenting his contract proposal when I knew enough of the details to take over. Then I invited his clients to follow me out of his, boring, meeting to lunch in the restaurant, at Walt's expense, leaving him standing there speechless. Their boss agreed to sign the contract by the time we were sharing dessert. Ted's company vice president learned I could own him any time I choose. I kind of like that analogy. I said with a chuckle, dropping in to destroy them. Walt's a lot like you, exploiting people whenever you want something. And you're not jealous? I asked, wondering how my husband of thirty years really felt about the dynamics between me and his friend. Do you have fun flirting with and teasing his clients? He asked lightheartedly. You know I do, I admitted. I've always had fun teasing men at parties. Walt gives me more opportunities. It feels flattering to know they're lusting for me. Walt and I have been friends for almost thirty years, he pointed out. He's known you almost as long. So, I don't blame him for inviting you here to have your fun. You wouldn't do it if you didn't want to. But don't take it any further than flirting, or you and I will have a problem, he finished harshly. You know I don't mix work and sex, I said. But I don't work for his company, so I'm free to have fun here teasing his clients. You're all I really want or need in bed. And we've both agreed to keep our swinger life discreet. You seem to enjoy fucking other guys at the house parties, Ted said. If it ever bothers you that I enjoy sucking and fucking guys at those parties, we can stop playing in the lifestyle. I assured him, knowing he really likes those parties too. I don't need to do anyone else. But you like Maggie and some of the other women, and I like watching you with her. I'm just having some fun at those parties, finishing what I start when teasing the guys there. Tonight, he explained. I thought this would be a nice date night, just the two of us. I do like their service here. I admitted. So, thanks for thinking of me this evening. The club manager came over to us. Dressed in his nicely tailored suit, he first nodded to my husband, the club member, knowing that Ted pays the bill. Then giving me his gorgeous smile surrounded by that hot-looking, dark skin, he addressed me saying, Your table for two awaits, Jan, whenever you're ready. Thank you, Marcus, we'll be there in a minute. I said looking up at him, and I felt a little wetness of wishful anticipation between my thighs. Meeting Marcus the first time I came here, with his athletic weightlifter build I thought wow, he looks good. Then with his smile and perfect host manners, I almost drooled, thinking. I'd really like to feel him between my legs. And when I looked at Marcus today, rewarding him with a cheerful smile, I again thought yeah, I'd do him. I say that often to my husband. I'd do him. When I see a handsome guy somewhere. And Ted knows I mean I'd have sex with the guy if we ever met under the right circumstances. But when I asked Ted for a hall pass from our marriage to do Marcus, he said, If you get a hall pass, I get one too. Okay. I don't want you going out without me, so forget it. 
That's just as well. He responded. Marcus knows too many people in my company, but you can do him if we meet him at a swinger party. So, I'm hoping Marcus is in the lifestyle. Then I might get to see and play with that taunt, dark, muscular body. Counselor I left work at three o'clock for my first counseling session. I didn't change clothes from my usual work attire, dressed as I was this time in black slacks, conservative white blouse, comfortable flat shoes, and wearing my stylish office glasses instead of the black-rimmed glasses Ted saw me with in high school. And the only jewelry I ever wore to the office was my wedding ring. I saved my necklaces and all other jewelry for use in strategically planning my flirting look with evening wear to highlight body parts for my targets. Most men don't realize how some women use jewelry to manipulate them. The right necklace such as a one-inch wide red heart-shaped pendant dangling above my cleavage draws their eyes by pointing down to where I want them. On my first date with Ted when we were 18 years old, I sat across the table from him, absent-mindedly, yeah, right, holding the necklace chain and swinging the heart a little. I thought, be a good boy and follow that shiny pointer down. I experimented, trying to hypnotize him with the view down my low-cut blouse, with the shiny heart swaying back and forth. Unfortunately, even then, my husband never fell for those tricks, and he called me on it by saying you're deliberately trying to distract me. When I'm on the prowl, going to a party where there's a potential for other female predators, I'll wear bracelets and an extra ring on either my right or left hand, only one, because I don't want to overdo it. It gives me discreet control over the sparkling baubles to wave and draw a guy's eyes away from my competition that I choose the right shoes and I have several anklets to choose from when I want the whole body look. That's right, look all the way down to the sparkle on my ankle and back up to appreciate the whole package. Some women use tattoos to try standing out as individuals in a crowd. They think a tattoo will make them unique. But I'd never put something permanent on my skin. My body's a blank canvas, which I exercise daily to smooth and shape to accessorize as my mood changes and the situation suggests. Every time I get ready to leave the house, I strive to paint the best picture for the occasion, staid, prudish look for the office, a stylish mom next door look for the kids' school or community events, or the you-want-to-fuck-me look for the evenings. A few years ago, we were in Key West for Fantasy Fest, and I even dared to spend the evening pub-crawling Duval Street wearing only body paint and my four-inch cork heel sandals. The competition there was fierce. Fortunately, the police didn't notice that detail of nothing else. But it was the right picture at the right time. Today, I'm wearing my respectable work clothes and wedding ring when I stopped at the counselor's office on my way home. This small waiting area near the elevator in the office building served several counselors, each with their own specialty in things like marriage counseling, substance abuse, or child development. The counselor I was waiting for is on retainer with our company for employees with workplace-related issues. Point one of the office doors opened with an older gentleman standing just inside. He quickly glanced around noticing me as the only patient waiting, and asked, Jan? I stood, nodded, and he beckoned me and dot he was probably in his mid-sixties, tall with gray, full head of hair, and handsome for his age, about fifteen to twenty years older than me. But he surprisingly retained a rather athletic build for his age. So, yeah, I'd do him dot as we entered his office, he waved a hand toward the nearest of two comfortable chairs facing each other, the further chair being closer to his desk. Have a seat here, Jan, he said and offered. Can I get you something to drink? Water? Soda? Coffee? These are very informal sessions, and we should be comfortable, as if we're two friends talking. I'd like to keep it on a first-name basis, so please call me Mark Dot. No, thank you, Mark, I replied, 
as I took my seat with my back to the door. He sat in his chair, then turned to retrieve a notebook and pen from his desk. First, I'll start by saying, anything you say to me is confidential and won't be repeated to anyone else. Your company is paying for three sessions, but this is still your private time to get away from them and talk about any work problems. Your supervisor, Glenn, said you might have some anger management issues with others at the office. Do you agree with him? And don't feel like this is an inquisition or that you must answer every question. If you ever want to change the subject, say whatever you'd like to talk about. Glenn says people complain that I'm too abrasive and sarcastic. I replied, but I don't get angry, so he's wrong if he told you that. I just have a low tolerance for stupid. His eyebrows went up in surprise at that. So, he should probably work on his body language and those telling signs. It's never a good idea to show people what you really think. Could you be reacting inappropriately when you perceive someone as stupid? It's not just my opinion. I said in frustration, seeing how this was starting. There are accounting and controls rules they're required to follow. Those rules are all there in writing. When I find people not following those rules, I explain it to them. But if I have to repeatedly explain it to them, then they're objectively stupid. And when I've already told someone they're stupid, after that I'll add, I'm sorry, I thought you would at least remember you're stupid. He chuckled, saying, Well, if they're not learning, then you might be right. I reassessed my opinion of where this was going, seeing he might be reasonable. So, I might have some fun talking to him. Can you give me some examples when you have to repeat yourself? One manager submitted a travel expense for a hotel room, which he shared with a female employee during a three-day conference, and she was also claiming the same room rate for reimbursement. I said in irritation. They asked the hotel to prepare a second receipt with her name for the same bill. I told him they're morons. That's fraud trying to get the company to pay for the same hotel room twice. And he's married. They could have both been fired over it if we let it go through. Then he'd have to explain to his wife why he lost his job, shacking up with another woman. I mean, who risks getting caught screwing around on his wife by squeezing a few extra dollars out of a travel expense? And he argued with me about it, saying they both deserve the money, since they could book two separate rooms, and still sleep together. Did you try to protect the female employee too? He asked. Of course. She understood as soon as I told her. Allowing anyone to get improperly reimbursed for things like that could be caught in an audit and would cause a negative finding. We have to catch those things before they're paid, or we have a controls failure. Does it irritate you that you uncovered an affair? In some ways, I answered honestly. She's stupid for having an affair with a married manager. What was she thinking? If she wanted sex during a business trip, she could have picked up any guy in the hotel bar. Instead, she's doing a company manager with the risk of getting caught here. Or is she so weak with low self-esteem she thinks he's the only guy who would do her? And I really have zero respect for weak women. How do you feel about the manager's infidelity? He asked. He's a pathetic man if he has to use his position to get a woman. I pointed out. And if she's manipulating him trying to get a promotion, then he's an ignorant manager. But rumors began when someone noticed those duplicate receipts for the same room number. So, it's only a matter of time before his wife finds out. You didn't tell their spouses? He asked. Their spouses don't work for the company, and I'm not the morality police. I pointed out. My job's accounting, budgets, and controls for audits. I let the rumor mongers have their own fun preying on each other. That's why I don't dress sexy or flirt with anyone at work. I'm not going to be the target of gossip. I had enough of the cat fights in high school, against the cheerleaders and other popular girls, 
the ones I called the bitch squad dot. Could you tell me a little about yourself and those cat fights in school? He asked as he began jotting down some notes. Dinner after work. My husband was lighting the second candle when I came from our bedroom to the great room after my shower. Ted came home early from work today, showered and was busy in the kitchen with dinner when I arrived. Now, he had the lights dimmed for a romantic setting, white tablecloth, two tall red candles, flowers in the center, and a basket of dinner rolls on the dining room table. The place settings were perfect, including linen napkins, salads, and a nice red wine. I recognized the song by Keiko Matsui from our favorite jazz playlist softly playing in the background. He held my chair as I sat at the table with my back to the high kitchen counter, giving me the best view across the living room to the cozy fire and the fireplace. Reaching over the counter, he picked up two plates to set one in front of me with the grilled tenderloin steak and his homemade red wine reduction sauce, chateau potatoes with garlic, and the roast balsamic asparagus he had prepared. Then he carried his own plate around to take his seat across from me. This is nice, I acknowledged with a smile, as I picked up my wine glass. It was my turn to fix dinner, and I wanted to surprise you, he said as he picked up his wine glass and took a sip. Raising the bar for me to do the same? I asked. Or were you hoping to get lucky tonight? I added with a chuckle. I'm lucky every night, he sweetly admitted. I had my first counseling session today. I started as we began to eat. The counselor, Mark started by wanting to know why I was there, with the abrasiveness at work. But it turned into more of a get-to-know-me session, with him asking a few questions, mostly about my past. That makes sense, Ted observed. He's trying to discover the things which shaped your underlying personality, those things which can't be changed with a few counseling sessions. Then he can work around any other more transient experiences. Did you get around to talking about Gretchen and the high school girls? Yeah. I mentioned how Gretchen was a neighbor and the thing about the Barbies when we were young. Good, Ted noticed. That business you described about Gretchen's family buying her and her sister's everything made for Barbie is where you got your favorite phrase. Yeah, I want to be like Barbie. That bitch has everything. I told him that. Did you tell him anything about us and how we got together? He asked. No, I didn't get to any of that yet, I admitted. It was mostly about those bitches in high school advising all the boys to ignore me and Marlene, and some of the pranks I pulled on them to get even. How about when you poured that red food coloring onto the back of Brad's neck, before he went onto the football field to pick Gretchen up straddling his shoulders? She was wearing her white cheerleader uniform shorts. Of course, I said proudly. That was one of my favorites. When the cheerleaders started their high kicks in front of the spectators after that, Everyone noticed the red stain on her shorts. The school nurse rushed out to pull her off the field and into the locker room. Did he think you were being too mean with that one? No, I said. By the time I got around to that story, I had already prepped him with some of the mean jokes those girls threw at me and Marlene. You know, like those barnyard animal jokes and other nasty rumors they spread. I think when he heard how Gretchen's mother was called into the nurse's office over that prank, Mark was ready for Gretchen to get what was coming. That bitch deserved the humiliation. When will you get around to talking about your attitudes at work? I don't know, I admitted. So far, he likes to hear me talk. And you know me, I can talk forever. I'll have to wait and see how it goes next week. What do you feel like doing this evening after dinner? He asked. Watching another episode of our latest series on TV? Play a game of pool downstairs? Or a porn video and fucking in the living room? Ha! Huh. You're hoping for a blowjob tonight, 
and I don't feel like it, so that's not happening. I said. I think I'll watch one of my chick flicks. You can either join me as my pillow on the couch or go downstairs and watch your sci-fi junk. You could let me pick the romance movie, Ted said. I think The Dark Knight Rises has a good relationship between Batman and Catwoman. That's not quite what I had in mind, I replied. But maybe. Girlfriends. Another week went by, and at work, I noticed the computer's clock showed 11.15 a.m. Too early for lunch. As I started to open a batch of documents to review for the next client, Lisa came around the tall wall of my cubicle. She looked great today with her lithe figure in slacks and conservative white blouse, wearing four-inch heels as usual. She says tall heels pick her up closer to eye level with most of the men in the company, and it's a necessary pain in the feet and calves for any woman trying to climb the corporate ladder. It keeps men from looking down on her. Plopping down into the empty chair beside me, she casually reached for the side drawer of the desk, opening it to withdraw the big bag of peanut M and Ms. pouring a few into her left hand, she popped one into her mouth. So, what brings you down to visit us at ground level? I asked in a joking tone. Most of us referred to the senior managers and those working on the upper floors of the building as those living in the clouds. Lisa was on temporary assignment on the top floor before her next management position in her career path. I need chocolate, she exclaimed, tossing another M&M into her mouth, then added. It's been one of those mornings. I replenish those waiting for your return, I said sarcastically, indicating the candy. Waiting for almost a year. I stopped by just over a week ago, she pointed out in surprise. How's my latest replacement doing? What happened? I leaned over to look around her to see that Glenn's office door was closed. Leaning toward her, I quietly said, I preferred the way you managed the office years ago. You always took responsibility for making decisions. Even Brian, the last manager, was better than this one. I get the impression from Glenn he likes to pass the buck and blame others. What's he done now that's irritating you? He insisted I go to counseling for my attitude before he recommends me for a pay raise with two fingers on each hand clawing the air as quotes. We both know that's not how things work at this company. I told you years ago that I was good enough at accounting to know how budgeting works here. They approved your section's budget for the next year before the performance reviews. So I knew you made your own decisions allocating the increase to each of us from the payroll line. Yeah, Lisa admitted. That's why they don't allow employees to discuss salaries. It would pit them against each other vying for a bigger piece of the limited pie and cause resentment with those who get the smaller piece or make everyone angry at the managers. You were the best, and you always deserved the biggest raise. But you knew I couldn't give it all to you. And I was cool with that. I said calmly. I liked working here. I even told you to make sure I wasn't the only one to get the highest raise, that you needed to reward at least the top two employees to reduce tensions. I take it that's not what Glenn's doing. Lisa almost asked. No. He's claiming it's senior management who decides how much I get, and I'm supposed to go to counseling to convince them I deserve the raise. I just hate that he's lying to me. He's treating me like I'm stupid. If you don't like it, you could always go over his head to his boss. Lisa said. Stan is a fair guy, and you know Becky, his secretary will get you a half hour on his schedule if you want. But honestly, Jan, it couldn't hurt for you to talk to a counselor. I told you before a lot of people around here complain about your attitude and being hard to work with. Only the stupid ones complain. I pointed out. I get along with the smart ones. I'll grant you that, she admitted. Try going to counseling with a positive attitude. 
He might be a good-sounding board to help you focus your frustrations. But don't change. I like that I can always trust you to tell me when I'm screwing up. She added with a smile. So, what's happening up there with senior management? I asked to change the subject. The usual, nothing you haven't already heard from corporate announcements, or the rumors. I'm under consideration for another promotion to a director position. But Grant will probably get it. Good old boy network? I asked. Not really. Lisa admitted. He's good at his job, and I've been dropping hints of taking early retirement. Why would you retire early? Lenny and I are having some issues at home. Lisa started. He's talking about quitting work, buying a motorcycle, and touring the country. Midlife crisis? I suggested. No, he's five years older than me and closer to regular retirement. And that stage of his life was over 15 years ago, when he bought the Corvette. We're just not having sex very often and I saw him watching porn on his computer. Are you having health problems? I asked. No. Lisa quickly blurted out, shaking her head. I'd like it more often. But by the time he comes to bed, I think he's already taken care of it himself. Offer him a blowjob. I suggested. That always works with Ted when he's stressed. And he'll never say no. Lenny doesn't go for oral. Lisa admitted. He says things like what if the kids ever found out their mother's a cocksucker? Or you expect me to kiss that mouth after my cock's been there? I think he's a little homophobic. And maybe a little judgmental? I suggested as a question. Sometimes I like sucking cock. I like to watch his expressions change as I explore with my tongue, finding the right spot to make him twitch and catch his full attention. I know, right? Lenny used to like it when we were younger. But after the kids came along, he changed. It's like he can't stand the thought of going down on me, and he doesn't want to feel obligated if I do it to him. Ted doesn't usually go down on me either, unless I tell him to. I think most guys are clueless and don't think about it. Maybe suggest watching porn together. I offered as a potential solution. You could find out what he likes or suggest trying to act out some of the positions. Tell him how you think it's hot watching her go down on the guy and give Lenny an out by saying the guy going down on the actress doesn't do it for you. Then you'd know if it's all blowjobs, or the reciprocation that's turning him off. I tried that, Lisa said dejectedly, but Lenny seemed too embarrassed to tell me which videos he'd like to watch. So, I think he's been going off by himself to masturbate. You need to find some way to communicate with him. I know, she said in a resigned tone. That's why I was thinking of taking early retirement, so we could spend more time together. If he goes off on his own on a motorcycle, that's probably the end of us as a couple. She suddenly glanced at her watch, and in a rushed tone added, Sorry, Jan, it's nice talking to you, but I've gotta go. I have another meeting in ten minutes. She put the M&M bag back in the drawer and closed it. Why don't you take those to your desk? I asked. Because I'm weak and I'd eat the whole bag in one day. She admitted with a smile. And it gives me another reason to come visit and talk. I'll try to see you later. Bye. I watched as my friend and former boss stood and walked away. Session 2 I changed clothes at work that afternoon, before heading out for my second session. Earlier at home, I decided to show Mark another side of me, rather than letting him think I'm a stuck-up prude. So, I brought skin-tight jeans to tuck into short black three-inch heel ankle boots, a blue silk pullover blouse with a relatively conservative but plunging neckline to show a little cleavage, a short, gold necklace with a small heart dangling about four inches below my neck, and my stylish glasses with thin lenses. But I left my hair pulled back in the athletic ponytail style, 
After going into his office and taking my seat across from him in the comfortable chair, I decided to dive right in. I talked to my husband last week after our first session. I began. I told him we talked about the high school bitch squad. He knew them in school too, so it was easy to relate. How long have you known your husband? He asked. Ted and I have known each other since junior high school. I said. We weren't close friends for most of that time, because he lived further away in a poorer side of town. We were classmates, sharing some of the same classes. He was a math and science genius, and I'd barely passed those courses. It wasn't until halfway through our senior year that we became close, when I went to him in study hall for tutoring in chemistry. Then I told him he was taking me to the prom, and we stayed together for the next two and a half years through community college. We both learned that we like sex together, so we were exclusive with each other during that time. What happened then? He asked. Well, he went off to finish his four-year degree, staying away during the school year, and we both dated others. Did you have any other serious relationships? Other than my husband, Ted, the other guys I dated were mostly okay. But they all had issues. Ted paid attention to me, and he learned how to turn me on. It was like we were in sync with each other. The others seemed to be in it just for themselves. Once a guy orgasms, he seems to lose interest in sex, and I would be left to finish myself. One guy was the extreme opposite. Once he came in me, he wanted to cuddle with me, and I found that irritating. I mean, he was just distracting me. And after I get off with my orgasm, why would I want him hugging and pawing me? Don't you like hugging or cuddling? He asked, as if he expected all women to want such things. There's a time and place for cuddling. I explained. And once the guy's done, I don't care about what he wants. I need my relief. And hugging doesn't do it for me. When I want to watch a romance movie, I might want to lean back and use him like a pillow. Or at bedtime, as I'm getting into bed I'll say, I want a shoulder, and Ted knows to put his arm out for me to go to sleep with my head there and his arm around me. But after I've had the ultimate orgasm, I want to enjoy the afterglow and sit back with a glass of wine. I don't want a guy's hands distracting me. When you mentioned those other guys, he started as he looked at his notes, then back at me. You made that sound like there were others for sex. Was it that often to use as comparisons? Was it that important in your dates? I had to pause to think. Hmm. I never really thought about it before. But now that you ask, probably. After my third date with Ted, sex became something we had fun doing. So, sometimes I'd date a guy for some relief. Did you have any bad experiences? He asked. Or were they just not as good as you had with your first boyfriend, Ted? I thought for a moment before starting. I think the worst one was a few months after Ted went off to the university, when my girlfriend and I went to a nightclub. During a band break, the guitarist hit on me at the bar, and I was flattered. So, we snuck into the men's room and had some fun. Marlene and I went back to the club the next night, and he and I did the same thing, sneaking into the men's room. Then the third night, it was different, not as good. That was dangerous. He said, going into a men's room with him. No, it wasn't what you think. I said somewhat shyly. There were no other guys involved. He had some signal for the bartender to put an out-of-order sign on the door while we were in there. Why wasn't it as good? If you don't mind saying. He asked almost apologetically. Then he added, If you're uncomfortable talking about it, we can change the subject. I can talk about it. I said, My husband knows, and he helped me get over it, when I finally told him the details. The guy talked me into taking it anally for the first time and he wasn't patient about it, so it hurt. Mark sat quietly, 
patiently waiting for what else I might say. So I went on, angrily saying, He fucked me in the ass, and he insisted I say, I'm your ass slut. And he still sat there, waiting, looking at me with no reaction. He was probably shocked with my use of that language, but no matter. He needs to hear how I feel about it in my own words. I was so fed up living at home with my mother's mental issues, I wanted anyone to help me escape. I even went back to the bar the next weekend. And during the band break, I saw him wearing his wedding band and sitting with his wife. That was when I found out he was married. I swore I'd never allow any man to use me, ever. You said your husband helped you get over it. Did he confront the guy? No. Not like that. I replied calmly. When Ted and I got back together, I told him about having sex with a band guy in a restroom, but I didn't describe that detail. I didn't want to admit that I had been so weak and naive. It was long after we were married. We drove back home to that area, and I took Ted to the bar when I knew the guy was there again with his band. I wanted some closure for what he did with me so long ago, and never confronting him with his wife. I didn't know what I wanted, but... Mark sat there, not saying anything. It was as if he was daring me to describe everything. So, I went there with my killer look, drawing him to me at the bar during the band break, like the first time. And I humiliated him in front of Ted. Then I took Ted to the ladies' room. I made him do it there with me, so I could remember the place with my husband. You tried to supplant a bad memory with another one using your husband. Yes. I said angrily. That's what I eventually decided to do. And I insisted Ted do me in the ass, too. Did it work? It made me feel more in control. I assured him. So, yes, it works for me. After reading some of his notes, he sat back in his chair looking at me and thinking for a few seconds. You said you went back for that guy, even after he did that to you. He noticed. To escape your mother's mental issues. Could you tell me what your home life was like? Until I was twelve years old, my home was like any other. My only sibling, an older brother, was out of the house and away at college, so it was just mom and me after school, waiting for dad to come home from work. Then late that summer, when my brother was home from college, he and mom were in a car accident. He died before the rescuers arrived, and mom was never the same after that. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. He pointed out, that's what we call it today. Yeah, PTSD. In her case, she couldn't deal with the memory of one of her kids dying while trapped beside her in the wreckage. Any reminder of her children would cause another breakdown with crying spells. And I was a reminder of her having kids, another kid along with the one who died beside her. So, every time my mother would see me, she started crying, and I'd leave the house to run over to my best friend's barn to hide in the loft. Marlene's dad allowed us to use the loft as our clubhouse, I think because he knew I needed a refuge from my mom. So, I spent a lot of time helping their family on the farm. It sounds like you didn't have much family support in your teen years. He said with a hint of sympathy or pity. Mom's sister, my Aunt June, helped out for the first year after my brother died. I said. And Dad was there as often as he could be. But he didn't want to split up the three of us as a family, and he kept hoping Mom would get better. So, I used my best friend's farm as my escape. It was good exercise. You didn't have much interaction with your mother, he said, as he wrote some notes. I once told my husband we both grew up in fucked up families, I admitted. I think he said it best with, our parents grew up with their own demons, so they were the best they could be. So, yeah, ours were not the usual church-going or loving, easy-going families other judgmental type people think everyone has. 
those judgmental types assume everyone is a human being and deserves respect, and that people always choose to be different. They conveniently ignore many things which make us different. Some people are just screwed up, and there are no magic pills to fix them. How did you view women in your life as role models? He asked. You've said your mother had problems. But who else was there for you? Mom's crying and whining was about something she couldn't change. She was weak, I insisted. My Aunt June was stronger, trying to help me and Dad at least for the first year. But I think the best influence was from Betty, an older waitress at the diner where I eventually worked. She showed me how to act around customers to get better tips. And she advised me on how to change my look from my first date with Ted. Betty said everyone has boobs, ours are just bigger. So, what's the harm in giving men a peek? Aunt June didn't approve. But by the time she realized how I had changed, she couldn't stop me. I knew how powerful it made me feel. It sounds like Betty taught you to be an exhibitionist. It's just a body. Sometimes I fantasized about being a stripper, making money for showing guys what I see in the mirror every day. Men are so simple, paying money for a glimpse of skin. I raised my right hand and index finger, running the finger down my cheek. This is my skin. Then I used that finger to trace the skin he could see on the top of my cleavage, from one breast to the other. And this is my skin. There's more of it you'd see at the beach or swimming pool. But showing you here would be naughty. And the only difference is in men's imagination. He took a deep breath before asking. Did your aunt see you doing inappropriate things at work in the diner? Not there, I admitted. I never crossed the line of exposing myself at work. I would have been fired. Dad asked her to take me shopping sometimes for the female things a girl needs, and she saw my behavior changing when we were out together. But even wearing a conservative waitress uniform, I could work it. Place my hand on a single guy's shoulder with a flirty squeeze, maybe bend over when I drop my pen to give them a down blouse view of my cleavage. And after taking their order and walking away, I coyly glanced back over my shoulder suggesting he caught my attention. Men were so easy. They don't need sex. Just the hint of a girl being naughty gets to them. I could get them to add a few extra dollars to the usual tip for doing my job, taking their food and drink order, and delivering their food to the table, while just being me. Were you leading them on? He asked. Or did you date the customers? If you mean did I date them for the tips? I said a slight anger building in my voice. And oh, I didn't do dates for money or sex for money. That'd make me a prostitute, and Betty warned me not to go that far. I dated guys I wanted, regardless of the tip they left. Did you date a lot of those men, your customers? He asked. No, I said. Only four over two years when Ted was away at college. Most of my dates were with some guys we both knew in high school. After we all graduated, going off in different directions, the bitch squad didn't control them. But they turned out to be duds. How so? They were either too clingy or didn't care about my needs. So... I tried a few of the customers when I was horny or bored. Of the customers I dated, one was a few years older, and I did end up moving in with him for a few months. He was good and taught me a few things. But he had to move away for his job, so I moved back in with my parents. Then summer came, Ted returned from college, and we got back together. Were there any tensions between you two when he found out you dated other guys? No, I said in a derisive tone. Ted and I were like best friends, with benefits. We could talk to each other about everything, including sex with others, and not judge each other. Ted dated other women when he was away at college. And he always knew I flirted with guys at the diner, even before he went away. 
I told Ted, some men think all women are cheap and can be bought, and as a waitress, I'd flirt with them and take their money. It just becomes a costly lesson for them if they ever realize I won't be bought. But most of the male customers are just looking for a little attention, even the married ones. Do you flirt with married men? Not usually in front of their wives. I cautioned. And I don't flirt with the ones I suspect mistreat their wives. Can you give me an example of what would stop you from flirting with a married one? I noticed it when I worked as a waitress. And I've talked to other women at work, and I think many husbands are two-faced. They want their wives to be sexy, but only when the husband is with them. They don't want their wives thinking about sex with anyone else, while those same husbands are trying to flirt with me when she's not there. If the wife came into the restaurant, I learned the subtle signs when they weren't comfortable around other men, as if they were afraid. And I just felt there was something wrong with that dynamic. Some women are right to fear men around them. He pointed out. Maybe something happened to them. It was more than that. I said. I could see the signs in their faces, not making eye contact, looking made up around their husband but frumpy when alone, keeping their eyes down when talking to their husband. That's why I learned to look for those telling body language signs. Their husbands at least verbally abuse them, and they accept it. Those are the type of men who watch porn, fantasizing about doing some young girl, while their wives sit alone, frustrated, and afraid. I could never understand fearing men. Porn makers degrade and abuse women in those films. Mark said, thinking he was agreeing with me, probably trying to appear empathetic. That's not what I meant. I corrected. There's nothing wrong with porn, unless it's some illegal fetish involving the unwilling. It's the husbands and boyfriends watching it, while at the same time insisting their wives must only lust for their husbands. They're selfish, trying to flirt with me, being two-faced about sex, and I find it disgusting. Do you know if your husband watches porn? He asked a little surprised. Of course he does. I assured him. We watch it together. All normal men get excited with the visuals of sex, because that's what they see when they're doing it. Most women can't relate to those visuals when a man is looming over them and rutting inside them, because the woman doesn't see the penetration when they're getting excited. They feel it, and see his face and upper body. I've learned to appreciate the look of excitement on a man's face as I stimulate him, and that's what turns me on, manipulating his excitement. When Ted and I watch porn together, I get into using my words to describe the scene and add to his excitement. Mark was writing some notes, so I continued. When it comes to those fearful women, I talk to some at the diner, and I've met other wives at parties and know they don't approve of their husband's behavior ogling other women. They don't appreciate their husband's excitement. And most men probably believe their wives shouldn't enjoy sex, unless it's with their husband. And those wives describe faking her orgasms to boost the husband's ego. It's little wonder many women lose interest in sex with men. After a few years of marriage, husbands start losing interest in their own wives, then look elsewhere. I think many men look for wives who are like washcloths they can use, wring out, and put away when they're done. The guy gets his own dysfunctional jollies by leering at other women, and it gets them off in some diminished way. The stronger wives get bored and cheat, and their husbands get angry. Or a husband gets bored with his wash rag and picks up another woman to cheat until the wife finally grows a spine and rages. Do you worry about your husband possibly cheating? Ted will never cheat on me. I said with confidence. He's smart enough to know he'd never find anyone better than me. And I never allow my husband to get bored. But some of my friends worry about their husbands, and I've even helped a few. How did you help them? He asked. Some women see their husbands subtly ogling other women, and they've talked to me about it. 
There were a few wives who asked me to see how far her husband would go, asked me to flirt with him. Then she sees how he acts with me. In one case, Sharon was proud of her husband getting embarrassed and moving away from me. But when Rhonda's husband grabbed my ass, she dragged him out of the party. She said she made him masturbate in front of her until he shot into his own hand before she allowed him to go to bed. Later she made him apologize to me, even though I came on to him. He now avoids me at parties. She belittled her husband. He said, for succumbing to your flirting? He embarrassed her. I pointed out, you need to trust your spouse when you're not there to watch them. As the years go by, people change. Rhonda's husband changed from the loving guy she married, and he needed to know the cost to put it right again. Do you embarrass your husband when you do that? Flirt with others? Ted has always known I like flirting. I said, he calls it my sporting event to make other men notice me. Some women play tennis. I flirt as a hobby. And I've heard Ted joking with the other husbands about it, almost like taking bets saying, watch what she does next. I think he's studied how I flirt, and he's proud of it. He might still be jealous of your flirting. I decided to give him one of my most risque examples. We were on vacation, attending an adults-only costume party in a bar. I was sitting at a table talking to a woman when her husband came over wearing a kilt. His t-shirt said, Good girls ask what's under a kilt. Bad girls find out. So, I reached under his kilt, found he wasn't wearing underwear, and I started stroking him. You gave a hand job in a bar? He asked in surprise. Did your husband see you doing it? Ted stood nearby watching me. The guy's cock felt rather good, getting hard under there, so I kept it up, with a few others watching his kilt moving as I worked him. One guy standing near my husband asked him, Is this the line? Ted let him go on for about two minutes making comments like seeing me do it every night in that club, which wasn't true, and asking when Ted was going to get his turn. Ted calmly said I get her every night. She's my wife. The guy was shocked and said, my God, you're a lucky man. Ted sees my flirting as making others jealous of him. Did you go further with any of their husbands? I'd never trade sex for a favor. I replied, that was the first time I ever did it. I just got him hard to make his kilt stick out. I trade my looks for the feeling they get thinking I'm interested in them, which is the only thing men need to boost their egos. If I put some effort into looking good for them and show them some attention, then they owe me. They get an ego boost, and I feel desired or get whatever I want. And when the wife is conspiring with me, the wife gets what she wants too. Could you give me some other examples of how you plan ahead for interacting with others? He asked. After dinner sex with Ted. Ted sent a text, saying he was going to be 30 minutes late coming home from work. He was fixing a problem at a remote data center. He tries telling me how he can control computers on the other side of the world. But I'm hearing, blah blah blah, until I finally have to say, you know I'm not listening. So, I had dinner on the table by the time he walked in. Ted's simple and doesn't need fancy dinners. He said his mother wasn't a good cook always making cheap and tasteless meals. So, to him, any meal is just to put something in his stomach, and he could eat the same thing all the time. When he prepares a special dinner, he does it for me. Tonight, I threw together a quick batch of spaghetti for two, with a ready-made jar of meat sauce and added a vegetable for balance. After we sat down and began eating, the conversation quickly turned to my earlier counseling. So, did you get into talking about your attitude problems at work? He asked. Not yet. Today was about dating, how you and I got together, and how I like to flirt with men. I mentioned that time with Rhonda's husband. 
I think she overreacted, Ted said, dismissing her husband's behavior as some kind of normal. What kind of guy wouldn't want to grab your ass when you come on to them? Would you grab another woman's ass like that? I asked, starting to wonder about him. Have I misjudged my husband and maybe taken for granted that he'll always be here? You know I grab Maggie's ass at the house parties, he pointed out. That's different. She wants you to do that at swinger parties. What about at the neighborhood parties? Would you grab Rhonda's ass? If she put it in my hand, like you sometimes do, backing up against a guy when flirting. Why not? Because she's not a swinger. That's just wrong to manhandle a woman that way. You need to make up your mind, he said dismissively. If Rhonda puts her ass in front of me and dares me, she'll get it. You can't have it both ways, right when you want it, but wrong when someone else does. This is like you bitching about how I didn't change the oil on your car last Saturday. I told you the oil change light came on, and that's on your side of the fence to do it. It doesn't work that way, expecting men to always know and immediately do what you want. I was cutting the grass, which is also on my to-do list. I've told you before, I can do anything, but I can't do everything. So make up your mind. Give me a blowjob and tell me your latest priority. If you wanted the oil changed in your car last week instead of the grass cut, blow me. I almost smirked at that but managed to maintain my control. Then I thought about it and asked, What is it with you and wanting blowjobs from me all the time? Is that to humiliate me? Of course not, Ted replied. I think it's about your priorities. When I'm on top or going down on you, it's all about you and getting you there for your orgasm. When you get on top riding me, it's still about you getting there. Although I enjoy it when you dig your fingernails into my back as you orgasm, when you're giving me a blowjob, that's you doing it for me. So, I appreciate it more. It's like you're showing me I'm important, at least for the moment. You're always important to me. I said in a loving tone, and I wondered if I'd been assuming too much, the counselor's doubt making a little more sense. Maybe Ted is getting bored. He does anything I want, whenever I want. So, if you're done eating. I began. Let's take showers. I want a video this evening. Okay. He said with a very casual tone, ignoring any disagreement and going with the flow, as he always does. If there's one thing I don't like about my husband, it's this. Okay. Attitude of his. He rarely ever shows any emotions, and I have trouble reading him. But he's still mine. We showered, and I used my personal shaver down there to get rid of the stubble. I keep myself completely shaved. I like the feeling of skin on skin during sex, since too much hair down there decreases the contact with my clit. And I used a hair clip to hold my hair back from my face so he would clearly see my lips from any angle that I walked into the living room without dressing, grabbed one of the blankets from the ottoman, and covered my swivel chair to sit as I picked up my tablet computer. As I browsed our list of porn videos on my computer, Ted came from his shower. He picked up another blanket to cover his chair and sat, as I was double-clicking to start the video I wanted. This one had a woman on her knees, servicing four guys who stood around her using her mouth and hands. Then I cast the video to the big screen TV for both of us to watch and set my tablet aside, picking up my glass of wine. The actress was soon enthusiastically sucking one of the guys, and I put my wine glass down, stood and turned my back to the TV. I feel like sucking cock tonight. I announced as I looked at Ted Dowd I know, if those judgmental types at work saw me now, they'd be thinking why would she do that? Maybe this time, it was Mark who planted the idea in my head that I should think a little more about my husband. Those judgmental women will be divorced in a few years, while I ensure my guy never wants to leave. Tonight, 
I'm going to make this all about him, and I know what he likes. Ted scooted his butt to the edge of the chair and moved his feet apart to give me room, as I knelt between his legs. I took a moment to admire his manhood as it began stiffening and bobbing in front of me, and I'm going to focus and enjoy making it twitch even more. Reaching along his muscled thighs, my hands almost wandered by themselves feeling his taunt skin, rubbing his thighs gently as they made their way toward my target. My fingers soon found their way and grasped his thickening shaft. I loved the feel of the warm, soft flesh in the palm of my hand, with my fingers wrapped in a loose grip around it. Moving my hand up and down a little, he soon stiffened until I was stroking the long, hard length. Dropping my head closer, I pulled the purple mushroom head to my lips and kissed the end. I flicked my tongue across the tip and felt his shaft throb a little in response. Then I opened my mouth to take half of it in, making circles around it with my tongue. I fell into my rhythm with his member in my mouth as I bobbed my head up and down a few times. When it felt fully hard between my lips, I leaned closer, taking the head to the back of my mouth, and pressing against it as I tried to get it further in. I still had three fingers wrapped lightly around the base as I pushed my head down, then my stomach retched as I gagged. I tried a second time and gagged again. After I gagged a third time, I took his member in my right hand and removed it from my mouth. Dropping back to sit on my heels, I looked up locking eyes with him, saying, Well, I tried. But I can't deep-throat you. I tilted my head to my left, never losing eye contact as I moved my lips to his right nut and sucked it gently in. Rubbing my tongue around that hard ball, I watched as his eyes rolled upward then he looked back down with a big grin, seeing the gleam in his eyes, hearing his quiet moans, and feeling his member twitch in my hand and mouth felt fantastic. He was under my control, but I wanted more. I lowered my chin down and under him, still holding his stiff member against my forehead. My lips were under the base of his balls, my tongue searching for that sensitive spot under and between them that he was responding to me, when I felt his hands on the back of my head pulling me in, and I felt a warm, tingly feeling causing the wetness to slip out and spread between my thighs. His reactions were almost like an aphrodisiac. My stomach tightened and I could feel my nipples harden as I sucked that spot and I reached down with my left hand to start rubbing myself. Closing my eyes, it felt so good, his fleshy member in my hand, as I pulled my head away from his light grip and moved the shaft back to my mouth. My fingers probed my nub with the wetness seeming to call those fingers within. I slipped a third finger into my opening, thrusting them in and upward, and I couldn't resist the urge to add a fourth. I rotated my hips as I jerked my fingers up and halfway in, riding my own hand as I felt the wave building but I wanted him to pulse in my mouth. Opening my eyes, I pulled him out of my mouth and gasped for air before looking up at his face. You can come in my mouth. I offered quickly as I continued stroking IT. Ted smiled at me. You know how much I love it when you do that. Will you be able to come again later? I added. Maybe by the time we're ready for bed. Then come in my mouth. I insisted as I leaned down again. Taking him back in and bobbing my head on it doubt I felt his body move as he slid forward and stood from the chair. He pushed my forehead back, pulling his cock out of my hungry mouth. Sitting back on my heels, I watched as he grabbed his member and started stroking it in front of me. I love this view, watching as a man masturbates, his hand flailing up and down on it, faster and faster, as he gets closer. Ted stepped closer, and I looked up, seeing his lustful gleam in those bright blue eyes. Opening my mouth wide and turning my chin up, I stuck the tip of my tongue out, giving him a target to guide it in doubt I watched as his hands slid along the length of that fleshy shaft just inches in front of my face. His breathing was quickening, and I could sense his pending release. 
When he took one final deep breath, his back arched, and I felt the first spurt as the thick fluid hit my tongue. His hand paused as he focused and aimed it down at me, and I watched as he jerked it erratically, feeling spurt after spurt filling my mouth. That view of him jerking off, his hand sliding along his stiff shaft turned me on even more, and I wanted to take the head between my lips. But I know how much he likes seeing it shooting in, and I gave him the present of my open mouth to finish. Ted's shoulders slumped as his hormone release gave way to his satisfied relaxing finale. I felt the tip of his cock brush against my tongue as he wiped off the last drop, waiting a few seconds for him to appreciate the view of me kneeling there below and in front of him. I held my mouth open for him and swirled my tongue around my lips for him to see the white stuff pulled inside. It didn't taste bad this time, and it wasn't too thick. So I closed my lips and swallowed, watching his eyes brighten and I smiled with the feeling of being so desired, ensuring he'll always be there for anything I want, holding out my hand, he took it and helped me to stand, as I said, I'm not done. I need a toy. Then I went to the ottoman to retrieve my flapping, vibrator dildo before taking my seat in my swivel chair. I threw my left leg over the arm of the chair and spread myself open, placing the head of the rubber shaft there. But Ted took the toy and brushed my hand away. I'll drive, he said as he knelt between my legs to lean in. He kissed my protruding nub, sending tingles through me. I leaned back, closed my eyes, and enjoyed the next thirty minutes as he used the toy, along with his fingers, lips, and tongue, bringing me to my final ultimate, leg-shaking high. Session 3 During my second session, the counselor asked me about my husband's feelings toward my flirting. Was he trying to cast out in my mind that Ted might someday cheat on me? So, I thought I'll go full-blown Jan on him this time, showing him who's really in control that I changed clothes and left work wearing a sexy tight leather, short black mini-dress, with thin black cloth sleeves to better highlight my hands and wrists. The top of the dress had an opening just under the neckline to display my ample cleavage. I chose black four-inch heel shoes with ankle straps, the type which even had a small deering on the side suggesting ankle restraints. This style shoe with an ankle strap gives me better, positive control of the heel. I selected a diamond choker style necklace, again the subtle suggestion of restraint which men love, with a red ruby heart dangling on a sturdy chain down four inches, another pointer, and suggestion of a leash. Then I added two silver bracelets for my right wrist to use while I talk with my hands to confuse him. I'll innocently wave my right hand with those bangles while talking, drawing his eyes around the whole package. That's right, bad boy, ankles, thighs, short skirt, cleavage, throat, lips, or eyes, don't you know where you want to look? My long auburn hair was done in the left-hanging flip-over style, with a hair clip on the right side holding it back behind that ear. I kept that side of my face cleared for any visuals to send when coyly turning my head to the left. I can touch my lips with a finger giving that naughty suggestion I'm comfortable taking things between my lips.my lipstick was a redder shade than usual, not bright hooker red, but close, so he couldn't miss thinking about these full, pouty lips. I added a little sparkling green eyeshadow, to use in drawing his attention by batting my eyes. And I put an extra spray of perfume on my left wrist for tactical use when needed. Perfume is one of those misunderstood accessories, even by most women. Some women pay exorbitant prices for scents, thinking it will make them unique. They think men will fall for it, with the advertisers making her believe it's special, that it will make that special man fall for her. Some women change their perfume as often as they change underwear, but I know it's a combination of sight and smell every man's simple mind understands. Any reasonably good scent works, when used at the right moment. 
I have one perfume I wear to work or for the mom-next-door look, and another I haven't changed for decades when I dress for a seductress look. When I know I have his visual attention, I set my mark, attaching a leash with the smell of my perfume. Then they'll always associate that same scent with me. Senses, that's the key to creating the leash. I always use the same perfume, or breath mints and brand of lipstick, so when I embrace him with that passionate kiss, he tastes me. I select clothes to make the first impression, silk falling over the curves for the visual, or the soft feel of cashmere, if I expect a hug running his hands over my body. Then I attach the smell or taste to it. Today, it's the look and smell, but don't touch or taste. A picture paints a thousand words, so make that picture scream at him you want me, a thousand times, or at least 333 times. But that extra, thousandth word is still me. I know, this is probably overkill for a counselor session. But I wanted to pull out all stops to show him. And you might think I'm obsessed with looks and being God's gift to men, and you'd be wrong. I don't dress to please men, or even to please myself. I'm the predator, not the prey. I do it for control, not narcissism. If I just thought about me, I wouldn't put any effort into analyzing how men think about the way I look or act. This is not about me and my own self-worth, but about controlling them. When Mark opened his door to the waiting room, he saw me and the look of surprise on his face was obvious. Jan? It was almost a question, as if he wasn't sure he was looking at his next appointment. Come in. He held the door open, and as I casually sauntered by him, I reached my left hand up to run a finger very lightly across his chest as I passed. Men see the woman's hand there as a flirty move. But I use it to put that extra spritz of perfume on my wrist closer to his nose to link the hint of citrus with his new image of me, attaching the leash. From now on, every time he smells that perfume, he'll think of me. I walked past the chair I used during the other two sessions, previously sitting with my back to the door and I spun on the balls of my feet to gracefully drop into the identical chair sitting closer to his desk and facing him, still standing at the door. After he closed the door, he hesitated for a few seconds looking a little confused before stepping past me to retrieve his notebook and pen from his desk, then he returned to the other chair. I know it's a subtle thing, but I was establishing my position in our relationship this time and ensuring he knew who was now in control. You dress differently this time, Jan, he began and I could tell he was trying hard to maintain his composure. Do you dress like this in the office? Never, I assured him. I decided to show you my mankiller look. I wore something like this on my first date with Ted, my husband, when we were 18 years old. It's like my coming out look when I first noticed how I could catch men's attention. Am I catching yours? And I allowed my eyes to linger as I made an obvious show of glancing down at his pants. So, this is how you dress to flirt with men he said in a clinical tone, still trying to resist. No, I confidently corrected him. I can flirt any time, even in a waitress uniform. This is what I do to take control and own them. This is how I dress when I want to destroy them. Notice how you didn't ask me to change chairs, to give you your usual seat near your desk. You think you own me now? He asked, still resisting. Maybe I was being polite. Or a man might be deferring to allow the woman to have her way. It could even be that, as your counselor, I want to maintain the calm atmosphere between us. There are many reasons why others might not say anything about the situation. You're right, there are many reasons. But I can imagine what you're really thinking, and if you're a healthy man, what you'd like to put between my lips. Moi, I said with a remote kiss through my full, pursed lips, leaving him with a seductive smile. I know what men would like to slip between a naughty woman's lips. He shifted in his chair 
and I knew I had his attention. Go ahead and adjust yourself in your pants, if you need to. I said, boldly assuring him I knew how he was reacting. Remember? We're two friends talking here. Do you do that with your husband, too? He asked, not reaching for his pants, trying desperately to maintain an air of professionalism, then he clarified. Controlling him with your flirting? After thinking about it for a few seconds since I had my fun, I dropped back into patient mode. With a contemplative, academic tone, I replied, Ted's different. He sees through my flirting and manipulations, and he usually just smiles, as if he would do what I want anyway. He never fell for my flirting, like all other men do. Oh, he'll get hard and have to adjust himself to a more comfortable position in his pants. But he openly admits it and doesn't let it control him. Maybe that's why I've always wanted him so much. He challenges me to keep him interested in me. He might eventually get bored. He pointed out, After so many years together, there's just so much you can do to make it different and exciting. No, I don't think so. I replied with a hint of doubt. Ted's a creature of habit. He likes, no, he needs his routines. He says his routines help him clear his mind for everything else. But you're right in that I thought about it. I looked down and to the left somewhat submissively and brought my right hand up to touch my lip, the bracelet catching his attention for the controlling pause I wanted. I realized if I wanted to really talk to him about this, then I'd have to trust him with more of our secrets. Okay. I began, looking up confidently at him. I'll tell you something they don't know about me or Ted at either of our jobs, and I don't want anyone at work knowing about it. After the kids were grown and out of the house, we did find more time together and things started getting stale between us. So, we now play with others. You have an open marriage? He asked, almost saying it as an accusation, as if he had already judged me as obviously having sex with others. No. I quickly dismissed him, shaking my head and I went on to explain. We don't play with others any time just one of us wants. And we don't have sex with just anybody. We're selective, and we try to meet other couples who are also in secure marriages. That way, there's less risk of emotional entanglements to threaten our marriage. It's just sex and variety to spice things up for all of us. But most of the time, Ted and I do it together, usually in the same room, so we can watch each other. And I have a rule that there will never be a closed door between us, so we're always in it together. That's what I said about keeping him interested in me. He said he likes watching me have some fun with other guys, so I do what I'd naturally want to do after flirting. I can take a guy to a bedroom and wear him out. So, you check with your husband before going off with another guy, and he follows to watch. No. It doesn't work that way. I don't need Ted's permission. At those parties, I can do it whether he's coming along or not. He can find us or not with the open-door policy, and I can always find him. But Ted's rule is no double standards. If I ever went out on a date with another man, then Ted says he automatically has a right to do the same, going off with another woman without me. And I don't want him to do that without me, so I always let him know when and where I'm going with other men, so he does the same letting me know. He can choose to come along or not. I make my own choices, and I choose to keep him under my control. If your husband's straight, I'm surprised he would be content with you cuckolding him by having sex with other men. Huh. I huffed in derision. In my opinion, a cuckold is a clueless guy whose wife is secretly cheating on him. In our case— I want Ted to enjoy other wives as much as he wants when we're at those parties. Have you ever had two or three different women in one evening? Ever have two women at the same time, one focusing on your testicles while the other bobs her mouth on your stiff shaft as you just lie back and watch them? Did you ever fantasize about it?
I've watched women more than once doing that to my husband, until they take turns climbing on top, riding him, and draining him. But you call him a cuckold. And by doing, you imply I did something wrong to diminish him? I'm sorry, I didn't mean it as an insult. But most men see it as cuckolding when the wife is having other men for sex. Most men are weak, jealously trying to find insults for what they wish they could do. Ted just doesn't deny me the same pleasures, as those weak men try to deny their washrag wives or girlfriends. And you don't mind seeing him with another woman? He asked, trying to recover and refocus the discussion on me. Hey, if another woman wants to suck the daylights out of him, I'm outsourcing the job. I said with a smile. It's just sex. And I find it rather hot watching him please another woman. If I see her getting excited and having a leg-shaking orgasm from him, I think, yeah, that's right, enjoy him for the moment. But only I get to take him home. It's like bragging in my own mind. When you're with other guys at those parties, don't you feel like a piece of meat that those men are using you? Most guys are there for our mutual pleasure. They like to see me enjoying their skills at sex, trying to make me orgasm. Most of them want to impress me, so I'll pick them again at future parties. Even if a guy isn't very well endowed, he might be very skilled with his tongue, and I'll make sure he wants me again. I like the ones who look out for me and my needs, and I take care of them. But a guy did once treat me that way at a party. He came up behind me while I was going down on another guy, and he entered me from behind at the same time. At first, I found that very erotic, taking two guys at once. But two minutes later, he ruined it when he called out take it, slut, as he came in me. That irritated me, so I complained loud enough for others to hear, well that was disappointing, Minuteman. Is that all you've got? Are there any real men here who have what it takes to get me off? But he still used you. And you continue to put yourself in a position to be used. He said, obviously trying to dissuade me from my lifestyle. When I saw that same guy about thirty minutes later, standing naked beside another woman, his dick was limp and shriveled from coming in me. I went to my husband and whispered in his ear you're coming with me. I stroked and sucked Ted for a minute. I know how to catch his attention to make him hard any time I want. Then I wrapped my hand around his stiff shaft to lead him to her, standing in front of the obnoxious guy. Here's a real one for you. I haven't seen the guy at any of our usual parties since then. You used your husband to humiliate a misogynist, he said, and again I recognized his lame attempt to bond with a female patient by using that term. I decided to call him out on it. Learn to use the right words. I scolded. You mean sexist men. Misogynists hate women. Men like that obnoxious guy hate the fact they want and need women, and they really hate themselves for it. But you've probably dealt with other women from our company or others, complaining about how men at their office are treated differently. They whine about disrespect, or lower pay, or having to work harder to prove themselves to men that they're the same. But what do they ever do about it? Cry misogynist, and call a lawyer? File a lawsuit and depend on a judge? They're still at the mercy of someone else. Many women are paid less than men for the same job. He said. Many women accept less pay. I insisted. If I take a job, I'll insist they pay me what I think I'm worth, or I'll quit and find another job. But if I accept the pay, then that's what I am worth. Don't you support women's rights? He asked. Women fought for our rights for over a hundred years, and those rights have been written into law in many countries. But those who are exploited can't depend forever on others to pick them up and help them. Think about it. If an organization exists to fight for so-and-so's equal rights, what happens when everyone has equal rights? Does that organization need to exist anymore? No. So, 
it's always in the best interests of those in power to see that their pawns always need them. The fight can never end. The pawns will never get what the organization claims to fight for. The pawns are the organization's source of income. But those organizations stand up for women. At some point, the individual woman needs to stand up for herself and look around to see who is really exploiting them. Women in those organizations throw out terms like misogynist all the time, not knowing what they're talking about. Those women hate men, for the same reasons they think all men hate women. They're all weak, with low self-worth, trying to convince others they're better. I don't need to prove anything to a man, because I'm not the same as any man. I am better than they are. And if I don't like a situation, I change it. What about the guy who treated you like a piece of meat? Some girls probably insulted him long ago, and he now does it to every woman, trapped in his vicious cycle of insults, as the way men compete. It's his choice. When you call him a misogynist, he wears the label with pride. But he's weak and jealous that he wants women. If he ventures into my circle again, I'll see that he's not getting any until he changes. Imagine him walking into a house party expecting sex and me and my girlfriends there burst out laughing and pointing at him. He won't be able to get it up while I'm laughing. What if he takes Viagra? He asked. He could be hard regardless of your insults. At those parties no means no, and he'd still need a woman's permission. I explained. I'll see he's hard-pressed to find a willing woman. But he might find another washrag type. There are some women making their own choice to be used. But I like most men. And if he changes, I might help him, too. I like the way men will rush ahead to open a door for me or hold my chair to allow me to sit first at a dinner table. I'm special, and they know it. The ones I need to correct are those who don't open my doors or hold my chair. They need to learn who's in charge. How do you feel about the other women at those sex parties? He asked. Women? At sex parties? Hmm. If you're really asking, do I do women too? I hesitated before adding. Sometimes. It's situational. As I said before, I have zero respect for weak women. But sometimes the touch of another woman, the right woman, a confident woman I can respect as my peer can be exciting. And I've sometimes gotten into the moment, exploring another woman near me with my fingers and tongue, when the timing was right. I sometimes find it erotic to kiss or play with a woman when Ted's inside her. But I prefer men, I can wear them out faster. If they're nice guys, I have fun getting them up and getting them off. It's empowering to know I can drain a guy and leave him empty while I can go on looking for more. I can have as many men as I want at those parties. And no one man can keep up with a confident woman in bed. That's why most men look for the wash rag type of woman they can control. Aren't you concerned you or Ted might pick up an STD? Or you might get pregnant? He asked, sounding a little flustered and still trying to dissuade me. Ted had a vasectomy, then I had a health problem several years ago, and a hysterectomy so there's no chance of pregnancy from either of us. And almost everyone we play with are married couples with the same attitudes for the same reasons, reduce the risks. They're as selective as we are. Ted and I attend parties with couples. And the only ones who are invited are couples we know or those they recommend as ones they've been with. So if our known friends don't have STDs, then the ones they've been with don't either. If we're unsure of any person, we use condoms. But it's a large and rather limited circle of friends. And with our favorites we know are safe, I prefer going bareback. I like the feel of a guy pulsing inside me. Is your husband interested in other men at those parties? No way. I assured him. Ted's straight. He's not homophobic. But he has zero interest in other men. 
and I probably wouldn't be comfortable around him if he wanted to be with another man. I only asked, because heterosexual men are not likely to share their wives with other men. He said, still sounding a little uncertain, as if he was out of his comfort zone. Are you married? I asked in frustration. Have you ever talked with your wife to ask her what SHE might want? We're not talking about my life. He replied in a clinical tone. I'm trying to understand how you and your husband handle all of this. But you can't possibly understand us until you understand your own feelings toward your wife. I said, not angry or chastising him, but making my point. How can I trust anything you say if you're going to be so judgmental about me, my husband, and what I want or need? Are you so selfish you don't even know your own wife and what she might want? I want to know who I'm talking to, if you expect me to be honest. Okay, he conceded. I'll give you one question about me, and I promise to answer it honestly. After thinking a few seconds about how to phrase it, I asked. All right. Since you've been married, have you ever asked your wife if she thought or wanted to have sex with another man? He hesitated before answering. Not really, that I can remember. We don't think that way. But you are married, I noticed. And you don't communicate with your wife. We're happy with each other and don't believe we need extramarital sex. You assume that of her. But you haven't asked her what SHE might want. I pointed out. I gave you your one question. Now back to counseling and you. Are you sure your husband doesn't mind when you're having sex with another man? I knew he was going to rely on those tired excuses of, No, we love each other. Or, She would never violate our marriage vows. I saw the signs of another judgmental and oblivious man, another person who naively thinks their spouse has no imagination or secret desires. But it's time to get back on track and finish this session. My husband lives in the real world, not some male fantasy where I need to fake orgasms for his ego. He knows we each have different levels of excitement and endurance, and we should both get what we want at one of these parties. He's having his own fun with other women, until he's worn out. And he enjoys watching me until I'm completely satisfied. So, you use the other men for your own pleasure, Mark said, as if he made some astute observation. And you enjoy using them as a hobby? Of course, I said, astonished it was taking him this long. I love being a woman, with all this power over those simple minds. You men let your dicks control you, and I know it. So, I try to excel at catching your dicks' attention. And I like the house parties, since Ted and I decided to play, because I don't feel like a cock tease. I feel better about picking guys I like and following through to completion with them. I find it hard to believe your husband doesn't object. He again pointed out, and this was starting to get irritating. Ted has fun and gets as much sex as he wants with other women. I again tried to explain. Ted doesn't live in some fantasy world, selfishly trying to forbid his wife from having fun. He knows what he wants, and he's content when he gets it, not jealous or angry at me when I get what I want. Jealousy is a normal human reaction, he pointed out. Have you ever considered your husband might be jealous of other men with you? Jealousy is extreme selfishness, I explained. A man sees his wife with another man, and he's jealous of the other guy pleasing his wife. He selfishly wants his wife just for himself, and if he's spent and tired, he doesn't care about her pleasure. My husband's never that selfish. He knows he can have me whenever he wants, and he enjoys sharing. And after sex at those parties when we're home later in bed together, he finds it as exciting as I do, talking about what we did with those others. I'll whisper in his ear, I really enjoyed Dan's cock fucking me, and I'll ask if he had a good view of it pounding into me. When I do that, he'll always get hard again. And I always take care of him, 
even after I've been worn out by the party. I just lay back as he again finishes in me. But if he ever asked me to stop playing with other men, I would end our lifestyle playdates. I'd never give up my husband. But if you're feeling worn out, and he again went down that misguided path, isn't your husband using you like a washcloth? Don't I use him? I countered, trying to show him it works both ways. Before he could reply, I added, when I want something and he objects, we don't fight or argue about it. I turn him on and drain him. I can always excite him, and when he's content, he'll do anything he can to see I'm happy, too. To keep the pace of showing him how I use my husband, I quickly added. A week ago, I was teasing him, giving him a blowjob, and I told him I want to do two or three guys at the same time. I said, and you can be one of them or sit back and watch. Sometimes I'll test him to see how he reacts, to see if he might be getting jealous. He smiled saying, as long as you're taking care of me, you know I like seeing you have fun, too. So, no, he's not the jealous, selfish type. Why would you want three men at the same time? What kind of pleasure would you get out of it? I'm not sure. It's a fantasy. I admitted. Maybe it's about testing my ability to control them. Watching a porn video with a woman on her knees with guys standing around her, I thought could I take control of them? I think it might be hot to stroke and suck two or three guys as I kneel in front of them taking turns with each of them in my mouth until I had them on the edge, then I'll stop and tell them to take over stroking themselves. I'll make them finish by masturbating, then order them to not come on my face. Doing it on my face is degrading. But the first one ready gets my mouth, and the others must finish on my chest. I'll make them compete against each other, and test them to see that they follow my directions. And if they ever want my attention again, they'll do it. But they would still be using you. I see it as me using them. So, it's about testing your power over men? He asked. Yes. I like to control them. Porn isn't real. You see an actress on her knees in front of a guy. She's acting out a script, and guys get excited imagining themselves there. But give a guy the real thing, the real me in front of them, and the dynamics change. I don't play by their script. They'll do what? I want when I'm edging them. And using sex for power to get what you want doesn't make you feel... He started, then hesitated. So, I finished for him. Cheap? Like a hooker? Said in a harsh tone, to make him feel like he insulted me. Well? He again hesitated, possibly recognizing he was crossing into dangerous territory. No. I confidently replied. When it comes to sex, you seem judgmental. I don't respect weak women, because they see men as always being in charge, and they hate it. The woman is always the victim and they use terms like misogynist all the time, claiming men hate women. Men compete, even against all other men. And most women just don't know or like how men compete. My husband told me how men torment each other with sexual insults. It's how men compete, by putting each other down. Not all men act that way. He said defensively. You did when you referred to my husband as a cuckold, inferring he's in a lesser position. I pointed out. Ted said when he was young, the boys in his poor neighborhood played a game called King of the Hill. It's a rough and tumble game where they tackle, trip, push, and shove each other down the slope, fighting to be the last one standing on the hill. It goes on until they're all worn out. As adults, men use insults to push each other down, often with sexual insults. But sexual comments and insults are inappropriate in the workplace. He pointed out. But it's how men compete. Women who cry. Sexism and misogyny. Only separate themselves from that competition, and they'll never be king of the hill. They'll always be weak outsiders, 
watching the game. Women demanding respect say men should give them more power. They're asking to be a man's puppet because anything they're given can be taken away. They can only stand on the hill when men allow them. Those women aren't strong, they're stupid. How do you see it then? What should women do? You can silence the words, but you can't stop what they think. Women demand men change, and men see weakness since the man is still the one who says no, I won't change how I think. And knowing the woman's weakness is the first step to exploitation. It's as if they're drugging the woman with just the words she desperately wants to hear. Smart women learn a man's weakness and controls him by exploiting it. Most men are into sex, so women should learn to exploit it. To compete against a man for that hilltop, wait for the strongest man to beat the others down until they're exhausted, then excite that winner and weaken him through his dick to take him down. There can only be one winner on that hilltop, and in my world, that's going to be me. I beat them down with their own imagination and desires. Is that what you do with your husband, excite him to take his power and use him? In any marriage, there's a give and take with your spouse. I can do what he desires, and he can do the same for me, seeing that I get everything I want. I heard an extreme example, talking to a woman about BDSM. She wore a collar and said she likes her dom using her. She said the collar was her sign that she trusts him to respect her limits. Most people think those are all abusive relationships, with submissive women being beaten, something I thought I'd never allow. But that woman explained when she wants to be beaten, her dom is doing it for her. It's a dynamic I hadn't realized before. It's not my kink, but I'm now more tolerant when I meet them in the lifestyle. So, between Ted and me, we don't do things to each other. Shift your focus and you'll see we're doing things for each other. If I understand you correctly, you're saying you don't abuse men. You give them what they want, within reason, and just expect them to do the same for you. Exactly. And when they don't, I destroy them. I can be as sarcastic and sexually insulting as any man, and it hurts them even more when coming from a woman. He wrote something in his notes, closed the notepad, and sat back in his chair. Then after taking off his reading glasses, his eyes slowly roamed the length of my body, not even hiding the fact, as his eyes paused at my tits and I knew he could see the indent in my panties when he stopped at my short skirt. I thought, oh my, you're such a bad boy. He was reassessing the way I looked, from head to toe, appreciating my attention to detail. Then he looked at me with a serious concern apparent in his furled eyebrows. His face relaxed when he said, This is our third session, Jan, and we're nearing the end. Did you want to continue, schedule another session after this? I don't think so, I replied. It's been fun talking to you, but I don't know what I'd get out of continuing. I appreciate your willingness to talk so openly with me. He started. And you've given me some things to think about. I can give you some of my observations, so at least you'll have something to consider for the time you spent here. Go ahead. I sarcastically agreed. Give me your best shot. He chuckled a little before beginning his summary. I think the mean girls you dealt with in high school did you both a disservice and the greatest favor. He caught me by surprise, so I had to object. How did they do me any favors? I demanded in a harsh tone. You seem to be highly sexed. You probably had a high sex drive even in high school, both due to the way you behave now and the high energy life you led with your best friend working on her farm. Exercise and fresh air increases libido. You even went looking to continue the abusive relationship with the band guy until you found out he was already married. And when you described your small, rural hometown... I don't think your personality would have fit in very well as the wife of a farmer, coal miner, or factory worker. 
So, I think if you had a more normal dating life with other boys in high school, and lacking your mother's daily oversight and help, your life would have turned out differently. That's one way of looking at it. I said, not caring for the thought the bitch squad did me any good. But you probably resented boys for denying you those dating experiences. He continued. It's possible you and your husband have this unique view of sex and relationships due to those limited socialization experiences in high school. You talk and socialize with a few women, as you did with your best friend. But you think women who associate in larger cliques with the mean girls like Gretchen are not independent, but weak. Most people like to socialize with larger groups of friends. But you were forced to avoid those groups and are more independent. So, you seem to think those cliquish women are weak. I could have told you that. I sarcastically injected. High school groups dissipate after graduation, weakening those who depended on them. People never learn to cope on their own when they become too dependent on groups of friends. You and your husband found you enjoyed the physical contact of sex, and you don't seem to need or want any emotional connection with it. It allows you to be close to someone without getting emotionally close. But you found you could exploit the emotional desires of others to your benefit. You dress to flirt and toy with men. It's like you're getting back at those boys in high school for not dating you. This is now who you are, someone who sees men as mostly deserving punishment with a look-but-don't-touch attitude. Oh, I allow a lot of touching in the lifestyle parties. You and your husband's high-sex drives are finding what might be a healthy outlet with other swinger couples. I like the way you described looking for couples in stable marriages for variety and partnering, reducing the risks. So, the two of you disassociating sex from your marriage vows may work out well. Ted and I are not having any problems. So, unless something changes, we're going to continue having as much fun as we can at those parties. The sexy flirting way you treat men outside of work and resentment of weak women may be what's causing your attitude problems at work. You're not being you. You dress down to try being more conservative, wanting others to respect you for your knowledge and abilities. But you're not having fun doing your job. At work, you might be taking pleasure in outwitting others with your knowledge. You enjoy finding faults which you can point out. You're getting back at the mean girls with your sarcasm and punishing the boys with insults. But it's not the fun you. This, he said, waving his hand at the way I dressed, is you. Now they all know you're the best at your job. You might try letting loose a little and be yourself. Have fun making others do what you want. The judgmental types would start whispering I'm a slut. I cautioned. Or a whore, getting paid for other things. It's what men and those bitches do. Don't let the bitch squad hold you down forever, he suggested. You don't need to go to this extreme, dress to kill. Maybe dress up a little more and try to find ways to enjoy your job, exploring as you push the boundaries of what you can get away with at work. You might not feel the impulse as often to be sarcastic. Well, there's a thought. I admitted with a nod, recognizing he's probably right. Thanks. I might try it. Looking at the time and realizing our session was over. I stood and walked to the office door, waiting with my hands folded over my clutch, my gaze coyly downcast. It was time to have a little more fun. He also stood and turned to the door to open it for me. When I shyly raised my eyes with an innocent little girl look, my head still slightly downcast in a subservient position, I paused and stared into his eyes. We're no longer counselor and patient, I said as I reached into my small purse, withdrawing a business card with the unmistakable scent of my perfume. If you ever decide to explore the lifestyle, look us up. Here's our card. And I handed him the card Ted made, with a picture of me wearing only one of his white dress shirts. It was completely open in the front, 
and my hand held a wine glass at my waist to discreetly hide the cleft at the top of my legs. My face was turned discreetly away and hidden. The card also had our profile name with the lifestyle website address that I raised my head pulling my shoulders back. Don't be arrogant or selfish. Talk to your wife and find out what she might really like to try. If she wants it, you should try to enjoy watching your wife having the time of her life. And who knows? You might get a chance to put these lips to better use. And I pursed my full lips, then ended with a friendly smile. His eyebrows went up in surprise. He glanced outside the door to the left and right around the waiting area to see no one was watching. He gave me a big smile and I watched as his hand went to his waist to adjust his stiffening member. I seductively added. But remember, this isn't a fantasy. I'm the real thing. I walked away, crossing the waiting area to the elevators. Pressing the down button, I turned to look back at him watching me, still enjoying the view with the bulge in his pants intriguingly obvious. That's right. Try as you might, you didn't stand a chance against me. The Threat The reflection in the building's mirrored foyer walls of the lithe figure confidently striding toward the doors reaffirmed my choice of dress. The tight leather black mini-dress might have been a little out of place in the afternoon, but it served its purpose in the counselor's office. Exiting the building, as I walked across the parking lot, I noticed two early twenty-something-year-old guys, with one leaning his butt against the driver door of my car as they casually talked out I can read people, judging their posture, the way they dress, their hair, and how they take care of themselves. These two screamed. Bark with no bite. Lanky, cocky types who posture in front of each other. They were probably here waiting for some group counseling, maybe drug abuse rehab, or some petty criminal, court-ordered. Try to fix this useless kid. The misguided people think will help save him. They turned to look at me, and the one leaning against my car glanced down at the hood of the car realizing it was mine, but not moving. If he had seen a man like my husband come out and walk this way, his type would quickly scurry away, like the rodents they are. But he probably thinks he's going to have some fun against the woman. Stopping about four feet away from them at the front of my car, I gave him a cold stare and commanded, Get off my car! He smirked and chuckled before saying, Huh, maybe for a blowjob. As if he could intimidate me. He expected to make a woman crawl and ask him to please would you let me get into my car, or make some impotent threat. That's what he was really looking for, a reaction, showing he was in control. Shifting my left foot out firmly into my dominatrix pose, I harshly replied, Well, whip it out and let's see it. I'll suck your cock, or bite it off. I opened my lips to show him as I snapped my front teeth together. Do you feel lucky? Then I angrily added, Well, do you? Demanding an answer. There was no fear in my voice, only a determined assurance we could do it, but it would be my choice. The surprise and brief flash of fear on his face was priceless, as if he should check his groin to make sure it was still there. But he tried to recover some dignity in front of his friend. Stepping away from my car, he walked in the opposite direction to put more distance between us, muttering, Let's go and leave this crazy catwoman to play with her own pussy. I know people and psychologists are wasting their time on this one. If he had stepped toward me, the palm of my right hand would have reflexively lashed out at his nose as my knee connected with his balls to further ruin his day. And if he had been physically bigger, I would have stopped two feet further away, giving my stiletto heel a chance to make a more damaging end to any unwanted advance. But for his type, it only takes the right command to show them who's in charge and make them scurry away. Supportive Husband How was your last counseling session today? Ted started after we sat down for dinner. Good. 
I said in a light, flippant tone. Even parking lot thug wannabes can't bother me. They're just a blip in my day, not worth a word. Mark ended by saying I might try loosening up at work. He thinks I'm suppressing the real me at work, and that might cause my irritation with others there. Well, it's not just that, Ted injected. You can be a bitch at any time, particularly when someone makes you mad. But I'm your bitch, I said seductively, as I picked up my glass of wine, taking a sip. You might try taking a management position, Ted suggested. You would probably be better at it than I was. Walt tried making me a program manager on a project that had problems. I found the problems, but I tried firing too many employees, so he had to replace me. Walt started using me as a troubleshooter after that. When he assigns me to a project, they'll work harder and do whatever I want to fix things, just to get rid of me. I don't care what they think of me, if I get them to do the job. I like going to work and knowing there are at least some people I can talk to and relax with. I admitted. I need my girlfriends at work to make it tolerable. So, I don't want a reputation of being a bimbo. That's the difference between us, Ted explained. You like to talk, and you need your girlfriends around to talk to. I'm a loner, and it doesn't bother me if I spend all day working on the tech stuff alone. To me, work is just a place to go to play with new technology and earn money for you and the kids. Well, I don't want the hassles of doing personnel reviews and meetings, I responded. I just like the numbers and rules. I like things neat and organized. That's a symptom of OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder, Ted pointed out. You're aggravated finding people not following those neat rules. Those disorders come with a high IQ. But you never really cared about your pay before this. Do you resent me for not earning more? I asked, suddenly considering our finances from his point of view. No. He quickly insisted, then paused before quietly adding. When you said you wanted to start a family and have kids, I agreed. You wanted to be a stay-at-home mom until they were older, and you went back to work. I appreciated you risking your health and body, the pain you went through, and giving up your own career for those early years. So, it was my responsibility to make as much money as I could for you, and for our kids. Some people are promoted with far fewer skills than I have. I prompted. If you don't want a management position, he said, then hesitated. For the years you put into our kids twenty-four hours a day and seven days a week, you deserve a break. I knew this was his way of showing it, so I let my emotionally dysfunctional husband off the hook. You don't have to say it, I softly said with a chuckle. I love you too. If you're satisfied with your job at work, Ted added, and it's what you want to do, go for it. I know, I asserted, refocusing on the topic. I wasn't angry, but a little conflicted, and getting back to my work issues. We're not allowed to discuss salaries at work. But after my last counseling session, I got some interesting info from the director's secretary, Becky. Glenn submitted a salary change giving Michael 6% more, and Michael's dumb as shit. I said, now starting to get a little angry. Imagine that. Glenn compares the dumb shit, Michael to me with the highest raise. Barbara is smarter than Michael, making fewer mistakes, and Glenn only gave her a 4% raise. My outrage at this was getting out of control. You'd be a better manager than Glenn, Ted said. But if you're tired of it or not happy there, quit. We've saved enough money over the years, and we don't need the money from your job. And you're smart enough to find another job, or do whatever you want. No, I'm not running away. Finally getting it under control, at least not before I make some changes. An idea popped into my mind, and I thought for a few seconds. As you pointed out, 
there are other ways to fix the company and get ahead. Looking away, I pondered a few seconds before looking back at him. Hmm. I think tomorrow might be a good time to unleash a few of my powers. Not a complete missile strike, but a warning shot. Back at work. I opened one extra button of my white silk blouse before walking into Glenn's office. Wearing three-inch heels and contact lenses, today I also wore an ankle bracelet on my left ankle. The anklet was a simple one, a subtle addition to my wardrobe, which mostly goes unnoticed. Today I was carrying my company door entry badge differently. Instead of the retractable line I always wore at my waist on my right hip, I had the card on a lanyard to dangle down my front. The large V of the red lanyard strands around my neck pointed where I wanted, drawing the eyes down between my breasts. When I entered his office, I pulled the chair from in front of his desk an extra foot away, giving him a better view of my legs and potentially an upskirt treat. I finished my third counseling session, I announced sitting in the chair. I slowly crossed my legs with an exaggerated rise of my left knee crossing the right, not bothering to control the hem of the skirt for modesty. It slid halfway up my thigh, staying there, as I glanced at him with a seductive but almost evil smile. After crossing my legs, I shifted for him to get a better view of the inner thigh, and I subtly rotated my left foot, the shiny anklet catching his eyes. If you want to stop complaints about my sarcastic attitude, I said in a daring tone, be careful what you wish for. Glenn stared at me, obviously noticing something was different today. He cleared his throat. Ahem. I got the approval for your 6% raise. As he glanced down at the papers then back up. He raised his eyebrows, as if he'd done something right, expecting me to be grateful and wanting my approval. But I knew my raise didn't need management approval that I leaned back in my chair, resting my elbows on the armrests, and interlacing my fingers to place my hands at the top of my stomach, under my breasts. When I adjusted my posture sitting up a little straighter, I jerked my hands up a little to make the girls bounce, just once, and he shifted his eyes briefly down and up again. About. That. Raise. I began, stretching the words out in a menacing tone. Becky, Stan's secretary, told me he has a client meeting this afternoon at the Satellite Club. I'm taking a lunch break, and it's going to be 10% by the time I'm done. Somebody's going to pay for some changes around here. Epilogue one week later. And today Glenn held an all-hands meeting for the controls advisors and those involved in the customer accounts. I casually explained to Ted across our dinner table. Glenn said management revised their pay guidance for the coming year. Instead of pay raises next year for his department, they're moving to a performance-based bonus plan. Those whose accounts have significant audit findings will even be penalized for lack of performance in their job. I noticed Glenn never made eye contact with me the whole time he addressed us. Does that mean you got the raise or not? Ted asked. With my history of no audit findings, this is even better. I excitedly pointed out. I'll probably make even more. And Barbara will probably make more, too. Michael and a few of the other stupid ones will be hurt the most when the audit deficiency findings on their accounts are added up for the quarterly spot checks. So, dressed to kill, Jan took no prisoners. Ted said with a chuckle. I was talking to Becky. She said Stan's budget shows Glenn's not getting a raise. I added with a hint of satisfaction. I was relatively tame last week. If he's a good boy, I might allow him to survive in the company. You didn't fuck his boss, did you? Ted asked dismissively, not really concerned, but confirming. Of course not. I honestly dismissed the idea. With the right look and a little ego stroking, men are so easy. 
They'll hang on to my every word. They love the attention when I act as their arm candy. Glenn's boss, Stan, was at the club to meet a potential client, and he appreciated my help closing the deal and my advice afterwards. But I'd bet I could get any man to bend over if I ever wanted to use a strap-on. Not me. And Ted chuckled with a stern look. And you know it. I know. I said almost apologetically. That's why I want you so much. You're different. Are you going back to conservative Jan at work again? It depends on the rumormongers. I know where the firm's partners have lunch every Friday. And the club manager, Marcus, said he knows the manager at that private country club and can get me an invitation to visit whenever I'd like. If I hear the wrong words from the rumor mill bunch of bitches and bastards, I'll strike in my dress to kill mode and their world will explode. You would owe Marcus for getting you into the country club. No. We were talking at the bar, and he was just being nice, offering to do it when I mentioned that place. You know I don't trade sex for favors. I assured him. But I'd still do him. Hmm. I could see his mind racing as he pondered it then said. I talked to Marcus yesterday at the bar after a client meeting. And he showed me a picture of his wife. I recognized her as that solo woman who came in late at the lifestyle house party last month. And we didn't get a chance to talk to her. The one you said you'd like to see me fuck some time? So I asked Marcus if they both play. And Ted paused, leaving me hanging. Well? What did he say? I asked in anticipation. He's straight, and she's bi. Marcus said his wife noticed us leaving the party, and was disappointed she didn't get with us there. They're both available next Sunday evening. Feel like inviting them here for dinner and maybe a foursome? He asked with a big smile. My eyes brightened in surprise as I exclaimed. Oh my god. Yes. And my smile couldn't have been any wider. I'll fix the dinner. Ted offered. Shadow beyond again, if you don't mind. I love you. And I picked up my wine glass, took a sip, and seductively looked at him. Let's finish dinner and take showers. I feel like watching a video this evening. I'm in the mood for one where a husband seduces and fucks his wife to a back-clawing orgasm. Okay. He casually replied, and smiled in that annoying follow-along fashion. I can do that. You may think I'm a scheming, selfish bitch, and you're damn right I am. I used to think I wanted to be like Barbie, that bitch has it all. But that was a little girl's fantasy. I see the world through my own shade of tinted glasses, and that real world made me who I am. The petty thug in the parking lot was closer to the truth. I'm more like a real-world version of Batman's Catwoman. Beware of my claws. If you get in my way, I'll rip your world apart. Oh, here she comes. Watch out, boy. She'll chew you up. Oh, here she comes. She's a man-eater. The End This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Visit the other channels for more stories with a different focus. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out.